well. Pray for Doug and Amy. Uh, and uh, you say, I don't know Doug and Amy. Well, pray for them. They have a special needs son. And um, there has been a serious situation that's happened down at a home that he stays at in San Antonio. And, uh, and they're having to deal with some pretty... Uh, uh, bad problems down there. So pray for them. The Lord will encourage and help them as uh, they deal with this matter. And uh, I know they would really appreciate it. Take your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 5. Mark's, cha- Mark's Gospel, chapter number 5. We're going to open up the Word of God this morning and uh, dive right into it. So perhaps, I think, uh, in my opinion, well, I guess one of my favorite Uh, chapters in all the Gospels. In all the Gospels, um, the Lord let me preach one of my first messages from the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 5. Maybe that's why it still holds a special place in my heart. um, But Mark 5 is a great great story for us to show that uh, how Jesus can heal and Jesus can help. Uh, He heals and I should say in Mark 4, he uh, stops a storm. In Mark 5, he heals, uh, casts out a demons out of a demon-possessed man. In uh, Mark 5, he also uh, heals a woman with an issue of blood. And then at the end of the chapter, he raises from the dead a, uh, a little girl who uh, has been suffering with some illness and has suddenly died, and yet... Uh, God in His grace, uh, Jesus comes along and He saves her. I tell you, when Jesus comes along, He changes things. He changes things. He doesn't leave things unchanged. He doesn't always, not, not every time does Jesus save. Understand that. When I say Jesus changes things, that doesn't mean He's going to save everybody that, he, that comes by. Look at the Gospels. Did He save everybody there? No, He didn't. But He changed some things. Because the thing about with Jesus is this, is that, is that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus demands a choice, doesn't he? He demands that either you're going to believe in him as the only way to God, the only way to heaven, the only way to have your sins forgiven, or you're going to say, no, I don't think Jesus is right. I don't think Jesus is right. And the account before us today is a true account. I call it an account. I don't like to call them stories too much, though I may say that every once in a while. But this is an account that's given to us in the Gospel of Mark from the Word of God to let us know about an occasion on Jesus in Jesus' life of how He helped and healed a man that was possessed with many demons. This is only one example John tells us in his gospel that if we were to know, have all the examples given to us of how Jesus helped and healed and all the things that he taught, that the, all the books of the world would not be able to contain uh, the, the message that Jesus brought uh, to us while he was upon the face of the world. But in Mark 5, we find Jesus is in a boat as he normally is, find him oftentimes sailing on the Sea of Galilee. And in this case, he's going across the sea to the country of the Gadarenes, a Gentile people. And one of the few occasions you find Jesus dealing with the Gentiles. Uh, He told his disciples that he was sent to the lost 
house of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. That's why he came. That was his main purpose. But on a couple of occasions, he did speak to the Gentiles because he is the light of the Gentiles. Amen? That's why he came, to preach to them. I don't know that I'm on here. Am I on? Yes, I am. Okay. And he comes here to the Gadarenes in Mark 5, and it says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the, out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, if you read Matthew's gospel, you would find a, uh, a little conflict of interest here. Uh, but it's no conflict at all for us. Uh, Matthew's gospel tells us that there were two demonically possessed people here. It's just that Mark decides to highlight the one. Uh, why he does so could be a variety of reasons. But it seems to me that he was the one that stood out among the two. He was the one uh, that uh, wants to go with Jesus and sail with him and be his disciple, as we'll see at the end of this uh, account here in us. But he also see in verse number two there, this word immediately. Immediately. That word is mentioned so many times in the Gospel of Mark. You find immediately, forthwith, as soon as, straightway. Those words are all throughout the Gospel of Mark because Mark's Gospel pictures Jesus as the suffering servant. He's the suffering servant. He is the one that is at the becking call of everybody in the Gospel. He is the servant, and a servant does things immediately, right? A servant does things straightway. As soon as the master says something, the servant does it. That's what Jesus is pictured as in Mark's gospel. He's pictured as the suffering servant, the one that does things immediately. And as soon as, though he is the God of all the universe, though Jesus created the worlds and everything in it in six literal days, about 6,000 years ago, though Jesus is the one that uh, sustains all things and holds it all together, yet he decided on his own will and his own accord and by the foreknowledge and the will of God before the worlds were even made to make himself and to humble himself and to become as a man, uh, to become... As we just sang, you know, worship the king, frail children as dust, feeble and frail. That's how he came. Born of a virgin. Born in a manger. Born in a stall with animals. I doubt any of us were born there. He came humble and lowly. He was a servant. And he's here to serve this demonically possessed man that nobody else would serve, that nobody else would have anything to do with. And I don't know what your story or your background is today, but I know this, is that none of us are too bad for Jesus. None of us are too evil for Christ. Some might think to themselves, I'm just too bad, I've done too much, God doesn't want me. I do belong on the Isle of Misfit Toys. Some of you might pick up on that reference right there. I deserve to be there. I don't, I don't deserve grace. And you know what? If that's you this morning, I'm letting you know that you're the perfect candidate for grace. Because the person that thinks that they don't need Jesus, Jesus says, I didn't come to 
help the whole. I came to help the sick. And this man's sick. He's really sick. He's beyond sick, as we'll see. He says in verse number 3, he says, Who had his dwelling among the tombs, he lived him in the grave, he lived out in the graveyard. That's kind of weird in itself, amen? It kind of gets a little weirder. No man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder, and fetters had been broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And he was always night and day in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus was afar off, he saw and ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now in this case right here, this is not the man talking so much as it is the demons talking. The legion of demons that were inside of him, for Jesus had said unto him, in verse number 8, it says, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So you might read it like this, is that he, in verse number 5 it says, And he was there cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus gets to the other side, he sees this man and he yells out to the man, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And then we see this transition that conspires after that in verses 6 and 7. Now in verse 9 we read, And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered and saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. I believe that a Roman legion could exist of about 6,000 troops. 6,000 troops, if, and some legions were that large. And if that is the case, then this man is said to have possessed thousands of demons with inside of him. The longer you read on in the story, it reads almost like a modern horror story, doesn't it? I mean, you've got a demon possession. You've got demons talking. Does anybody have uh, the Bible on their phone? Anybody have the Bible on your phone? Only one person in here has the Bible on their phone. Anybody here? Okay, all right. Get the Bible on your phone, all right? And then download this chapter, and then download the dramatic reading of this chapter right here. Anybody ever listen to the dramatic reading of Mark 5? It's pretty weird, okay? All right? They, dramat- they dramatize the demons talking and all this kinds of thing. And so, yeah, it sounds, you know, it sounds a little freaky, okay? Yet you can imagine, you have thousands of demons inside of a man, you have an exorcism, you have a guy cutting himself, you have blood, you have scabs all over his body, you've got a guy out there, you've got two men running around butt naked, I mean, it's just, it's just a weird story, all right? And then you've got this guy, and they've got the demons being tossed out of a guy and to some pigs, and the pigs running off the edge and running into a, uh, the water and drowning. And you can imagine they're squealing and they're hollering and all those kinds of things, and they're drowning, their bubbles coming up and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just a weird story, okay? Because, and, and, it, and, it, and it should be weird, all right? But the point being is that this is not a fictional story. This is a true account And verse 10, the Bible says that this legion besought him that they would not send them out of the way of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine's feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send unto us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith, you see there's that word again, immediately, forthwith, as soon as, straightway, you find it all over the place, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the referred ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And there were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. 
That must have been some awful sounds, wouldn't it? I mean, all the squeal, I'm not going to imitate. You can listen to the dramatic Bible reading yourself, you know. And they that fed the swine told it in the city, in the country. And they went about, they went, and, and, and when they went out to see what was done, and they come to Jesus and see him, and that was possessed with the devil and the legion sitting clothed in his right mind, they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell them that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray and depart out of their coast. I mean, they were afraid. And this was, this, was, this was weird stuff to them. This was too weird. They said, Jesus, you've got to leave. And when he was coming to the ship, Jesus, you see, Jesus is a perfect gentleman. Amen? He's a gentleman. Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody. Read your Gospels. He doesn't, he doesn't force himself on anybody. Read your Old Testament. God never forced himself on anybody. It was of a willing heart. It was of a willing mind. He said to love the Lord thy God. You don't love somebody by force. Amen? You love somebody by will, by choice. You cleave. He says cleave to the Lord. Love the Lord. And in this case, Jesus is demonstrating his perfect gentleness in that He's not there to force himself on the Gadarenes. If you read later on in the gospel accounts, you'll find that he comes back to this country and they're ready to accept him. They're ready to believe upon him. But here and now, they're not ready. They're just not quite ready. And that probably proved a fatal choice for some of them because I doubt that all of them survived to when Jesus came back again. But Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody. He doesn't make you believe. You know, sometimes we hear about make-believe. Make-believe. And when we say that, we, we talk about, you know, we talk about uh, fairy tales and that kind of, it's make-believe. But Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't make anybody believe. He doesn't make you believe. He's there to give you the gospel, plain and simple. As I said, I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. There are no fairy tales with God. This is the word of God that's before us. The story continues on in verse 18, and it says, And when he was coming to the ship, he that was possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. This is the word of God. This is not a fairy tale. Peter said it plainly. He said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made note unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Many think that Mark wrote at the hand, at the, uh, at the direction of Peter. Peter might have influ probably influenced Mark in writing this epistle. Whether that's the case or not, the point being is that these men were eyewitnesses of these accounts. And to think that somebody would die, these, all these apostles died by martyrdom. To think that anybody would die, would die for a fairy tale. Would you die for Snow White in the Seven Drawers? 
Would you die for Cinderella? Would you die for those things? You say, no, you'd be a fool to do so. You'd be a fool to do so. No, these men died and they gave their lives and thousands others have because this is a true account. Men and women die for truth. For truth. And these men and these women and the Word of God, they died for truth. These accounts are true. Romans 15.4 says this, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Why is Mark 5 written for us and given to us in the Word of God? It's given to us so that we could have hope. It's so that we could have comfort. It's so that we could experience true hope in Jesus Christ. These passages offer to us a hope from the bondage of sin. They offer a hope from the sting of death. They offer to us a hope and comfort from the eternity of hell. Mark 5 is no different. So I want us to see this morning just a few things from here. How we can have a better understanding that the gospel message is a soul-freeing message from sin. It's a soul-freeing message from sin. Father, we pray now that you please will help us as we look to the Word of God this morning. Father, Lord, I am incapable of presenting the gospel or preaching the Word and be effective at the same time without the Spirit of God's help and anointing upon me. And I pray for us all here today that God, as Brother Blue played in the first prayer of the meeting this morning, that uh, that we just have a fresh glimpse of Jesus Christ and the gospel and what it accomplished for us in our lives. May we be encouraged by that, that are saved, and those that are here underneath the sound of the preaching of the Word of God, if they're not saved, I pray that, Father, they'd be saved today through the Holy Spirit and Your Word. Use me now, Your unworthy vessel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want us to notice just four simple life-changing points about the freedom from sin. Four simple life-changing points about the freedom from sin. And the first one is a negative point, because it has to be negative, because we've got to talk about sin, right? You 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 don't get to the positive until, first of all, you get, you have to deal with the negative. Every battery has both what? positive and negative, right? you got to have both. In today's modern preaching, there seems to be a lot of positivity and there's not much negativity. That's false preaching. Just by the simple principle of a battery. In order for a battery to work, in order for there to be energy and to be life, there needs to be both positive and there needs to be both negative. You have to have them both, both intermixed in between in order to work. There's both hope and there's both comfort in the, in, the, in the Lord. But there's also sin that needs to be dealt with. Romans 3.10 says that there is none righteous, no, not one. If you want to just break that down even more simplistically, you might say is this, is that nobody is right. Nobody is right. You say, I've been right before. What it means is this, is that nobody is right with God. Without Jesus, nobody is right with God. He is the one that makes us right with God because He's the one that did right. 
all right all the time. So the first point that of this freedom from sin that I want to tell you is this, is that sin steals. Sin steals. It steals. It's a robber. It's a thief. It's a burglar. Sin steals. And this man is a perfect example of that. These two men that were possessed with demons are an excellent example that sin steals. Ephesians 2.1 is this. The first thing sin steals is life. It steals life. You say, I'm alive. I understand that. But when I say life, I mean spiritual life. The Bible says this. He says, he says you now that were quickened, we were quickened when you were once, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Do you realize before somebody gets saved, before they become a Christian, that they were dead in their trespasses and sins? That they were not alive in Christ? If your thought in your mind is this, as I've always been a Christian, listen, my friend, you've got wrong theology. You've got wrong teaching. You've grown up in the wrong, in, in the wrong with the wrong mentality. You, you're not always a Christian. You become a Christian whenever you trust Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, I was raised in a Christian home, or I, was, uh, I grew up in America, or I, I went to church when I was growing up. I mean, doesn't that kind of like uh, classify me as a Christian? Maybe to the world standards, but not to the Bible standards. The Bible teaches us that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ the Lord. That's why we're called that are saved Christians. We're identified with what? Christ. It's sad, in a modern uh, Barnum poll, it was reported that a great majority, I think it was about 42% of those that claim to be Christians, do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Well, can I inform you, and can I inform those that were a part of the, a part of the poll, is that if you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Because that go, goes against completely against the Word of God. It goes against Jesus' teachings. It goes against what Jesus said when he said, I am the way. Sin steals life. It steals spiritual life. It steals us. Sin, the second thing about sin is this, is that it steals purity. Sin is unclean. It's unclean. Notice in verse number two, the Bible says this, is that they met him, a man that was out of the tombs, that was an unclean spirit. Sin is unclean. It steals purity. It steals purity. And sadly, how many uh, people, before they ever get saved, before they ever trust Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, they experience so much immorality. They experience a lot of impurity that comes into their life because of sin. It creates uncleanness. And just, just to not maybe create too vivid of a picture in your mind, but something that maybe you've never considered before is that there were two men there that were in the tombs there that were both living together and they both had no clothes on. And they were possessed with demons. All right, I'm not going to go any further than that. But that's just, that's just not right. So I'm sure there were abominable things that were created. I know that I'm kind of maybe looking into this, but I'm just letting you know that it steals purity. It steals away purity. It's unclean, sin is. 
And man, the uncleanness of the world that is around us. Man, the, the, world, is, the world has created some unclean things. You know, there's some things that as Christians we have no place of go, no, no reason to go into. There's, there's some places in Austin, some stores in Austin that you say, you know, that's an unclean store. It's an unclean establishment. I have no reason to go there. I have no reason to uh, venture into that place. Sin costs them everything. Sin steals. It steals your purity. It steals your life. It steals your family. It steals your friends. It steals your home. It steals your money. It steals your clothing. Why? It steals. It goes, that's what it does. It's a thief. It steals. These men, these men lost everything. They had nothing. They had no family. They had no friends. They had no home. They had no money. They had no clothing. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. I was just reading about a, a famous comedian that passed away back in 2021. And one of his accounts was this, is that he was a lifelong addicted gambler. And on one occasion, he lost $400,000 in one night. I've never even seen $400,000. He declared bankruptcy twice because of his gambling addiction. He lost everything because of it and had to rebuild back on several occasions. The point being is this, is that sin steals. It takes away. It rips things out of people's lives. Sadly, though we, the state of Texas just passed an age verification law for, pornogra- for, for pornography. Sadly, you have unwicked, you have wicked and unjust judges like Judge Ezra down in San Antonio for the West, for a U.S. US court circuit of appeals that said, you know what, that law's unconstitutional. It goes against free speech. Listen, last time I read the First Amendment, I don't think there was anything in there about pornography or lewdness. We can just pray that when it goes to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans that they'll see differently. My point being is this, that sin steals. It steals. Sin made them a nuisance to society. It stole their uh, respectability. They were ostracized. They were chained. They were bound because of sin. They were a menace to society. They were leeches on humanity around them. And look at this. No one could bind them. Uh, they, They put them in chains and fetters, but no one could bind them. But yet sin still had dominion over them, like he says in Romans. That that sin has dominion over those that are lost. It rules over you. It binds you. It is what traps you. Sin cuts you. It scars you. We have a serious issue in our society today with this thing of cutting. And I'm not saying that everybody that cuts themselves is demon-possessed. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this is that it comes from the devil. That's not of God. It's not of the Lord. That's of the devil. This text proves that. This text shows that. If you see that in your kids, just see that, you know, that's not a good thing. They need some help. They need some, they, that needs to be addressed. I know that's a touchy issue, but listen, sin cuts. But listen, sin scars. How many of us were saved later on in life 
and yet you've got some scars on your heart because of sin. I mean, sins really hurt you. Maybe it wasn't your sin. Maybe it was your parents' sin. Maybe it was your co-worker's sin. Maybe it was your spouse's sin. Maybe it was your ex-wife or ex-husband's sin that hurt you, that scarred you. But sin scars. It hurts. It steals, my friend. And it takes everything from us. And notice number, verse number 9, it says they were legion. Sin is many. I mean, the list of sins is innumerable, isn't it? I mean, we could create sin this morning if we would like to. We could figure out new ways to sin. Sin is so wicked and so ungodly that what will actually happen is that sin will actually use the Word of God where the Word of God says, don't do that. The sin will incite lust with inside of us to say, I want to do that. Like a child that is getting ready to touch something that he shouldn't touch, right? And the more that the parent says, no, don't do that, the more the child wants to do it, right? What is that within that child? What is that within us? That's sin. It steals. It steals. But notice, secondly, Satan's sin steals, but notice Satan snares. Ye are the father of the devil, the, Jesus said to the Pharisees, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. These devils were, uh, were under the control of their leader, Satan. And Satan will oftentimes take people as a snare of the devil. He will capture them and take them captive at his will. That's what happened to these men. Because, listen, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. Our battle is not against uh, each other. That's what the news media likes to present. Did you know that? The news media likes to present that our battle is white and black. Our battle is rich and poor. Our battle is Republican-Democrat. That's what, that's what you're going to hear over the next uh, so many months or however many months that is, 12, 13, 14 months, 12, 12 months or whatever, 13 months, 14 months. Over the next 14 months, you're going to be hearing that the battle is between Republican and Democrat. Or before there, the battle is between, you know, uh, Trump and DeSantis. You're going to say you're going to hear the battles between these people. But listen, my friend, the battle is not between people and people. The battle, the battle, my friend, is not between flesh and blood. The battle, he says in Ephesians 6, it says this, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen, my friend, the battle you're facing with sin is not because, is not, is not, is not because you've got, uh, you've got, a, you've got something wrong with you, or you've got something dealing with you, or you've got, you've got a mental issue up here. Listen, the problem with sin is this, is that there is a Satan, there is a devil that is taking people captive at his will. And the problem of sin is stronger than you and me can ever even imagine. The problem of sin is something that you and I cannot even deal with. Sure, there are people that have knocked off addictions, 
without Christ. I'm not denying that. Sure, there are people that have restored their marriages that were not Christians. I'm not denying that. I'm not, because I'm not here preaching to you that if you get saved, that Christ is here to deliver you from addiction. This is not a deliverance ministry. I'm not here to say, and I'm not here to preach to you this morning, that if you get saved, Christ is going to give you a better marriage. I'm not here, because all of that, my friend, is tickling the ears, and it's not tackling the real problem. The real problem is Satan and sin. That's the real issue. Do you know there are some people out there that are Christians that don't have better marriages? Did you know that in 1 Corinthians 7 that the Bible tells us there that there is going to be some of you that get saved and some of you that don't get saved. There's going to be some of you that get saved as a wife and your husband's not going to get saved. And what's going to happen in that scenario sometimes is that lost husband is going to leave his wife. Listen, things are not all a bed of roses when somebody gets saved, all right? In fact, I will tell you this, that the majority of people that get saved, usually what happens to them is something bad happens to them right after they get saved. You say, really? Yeah. Two things, the Lord is testing you, and secondly, the devil's coming after you. You've got a bullseye on you. You're no longer his anymore. Does that make sense? You're no longer His. You're somebody else's. You're the Lord's. He's coming. He's a, de- he's, a, he's, a, he's a lion. Listen, we've got to be careful. We've got to be watchful. As, because don't even marvel that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Be careful. Satan snares. He's blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel should shine unto them. You cannot defeat sin yourself because sin is from the devil. And the devil is stronger than you, and he's stronger than me. He's stronger than any of us all put together. Michael the archangel would not fight against the devil. If, the strong, if one of the strongest angels that God ever created would not fight against the devil, then how much less strong are you and I? We have no power against his will. We have no power against his ways. We have no power against his snares, against his tricks. We have no power against any of that. But listen, I've got good news. The devils must listen to Jesus. The devils must listen to Jesus because whenever Jesus comes on the scene, he says immediately to them, he says, come out of him. Jesus says, come out of them. And immediately they start to grovel at his feet. And they beg that they be not be thrown into a pit. And they beg that he might be thrown into an abyss. And they say, please don't do these kinds of things to us. Satan must, real, must submit to Jesus Christ. Because the third point is this, is that the Savior is the one that sets us free. It's Jesus that sets us free. Jesus is the one that sets us free. Even in some meetings, alcoholic meetings, 
when they sit around the room there and they introduce themselves. And again, I'm glad for those that have been a part of those meetings. I'm thankful for those that have been in those meetings that have uh, no longer uh, are drinking and getting drunk. I'm all for people not drinking and driving. How many would say amen to that? And I had tears in my eyes the other day whenever I was going down the road and I seen a billboard and it said, please don't drink and drive. I lost my mommy because of it. I had tears in my eyes. Thankfully, the state of Texas just passed a new law that if you kill somebody with drunk driving here in the state of Texas and they have a family, you're going to have to start paying their child support. We need tougher laws against drinking and driving. We need zero tolerance policy on that like they have in Europe. Zero tolerance. One sip, don't even drive. You want to drink? It impairs your vision, impairs your motor skills the moment you do. I see these people all the time at Chili's and the rest of the places, and they've got a couple of kids around the table, and mom and dad are drinking a mixed drink. Man, it just, just kills my heart. It's just, it's just terrible. What's happening to our country? What's happening to people? But sometimes people will get over these things, but sadly, they'll sit in a group and they'll look at one another, and in the introduction, they'll say, Hi, I'm Joe, and I'm an alcoholic. Listen, my friend, if you're saved, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, if you've been changed, Listen, my friend, there is some good in admitting who you are that needs to be done. But listen, the fact of the matter is this, is that this man did not sit around the dinner table the next day and say, Hi, my name's Caleb. I'm a a demon-possessed man. Amen? He didn't do that. Why? He was freed. He was set free. When you get saved, you're not an alcoholic or a druggie or you're not any of those kinds of things anymore. You know what you are? You're a saved, born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You stopped identifying with the old things and behold, all things are become new, my friend. They become new in Christ Jesus the Lord. You don't have to have the power of sin over you anymore. I love what it says. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phylus clean. His blood availed for me. You see, it's not me. The man had no power over his sin. Satan had no control over him. Satan is our spiritual father, but yet we see that Jesus Christ is the one that's the creator of all. He has power over everyone. We're bound in sin. We're bruised in sin. We're prisoners of sin. But Jesus came to set us free. Think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus was a prisoner of sin. You say, how's that? You remember what he did? He became a prisoner. And he was accused falsely of sin. He became unclean through sin. You say, how's that? He made his death with sinners On a cross, he became foul through sin by those that fouled him. He became bound in sin by those that bound him. He became bruised and battered because of sin, because they beat him. He became cut and open and bleeding and dying because of sin. All the things that sin does to us, Jesus took upon himself in order that he might identify with us 
and take upon Him this sin that He did not deserve in order that we might be set free. What's the proof that He didn't sin? What's the proof that what He did was right? What's the proof that, he, that, that, that Christ Jesus never did anything wrong? The proof is this. The proof is that three days later, He rose again from the dead. That's the proof. And not by Elisha or Elijah. They said, let us see if Elisha will come down and help him. Listen, Elisha wasn't coming down to help. Moses wasn't coming down to help. John the Baptist wasn't coming down to help. You know who rose up Jesus on the third day? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. All three of them working in unison with one. Jesus said, I, don't, I, said, I lay down my life. And he says, and I will raise it up again. Jesus Christ Himself rose up Himself with the Father and with the Son because they always do all, three, all things together because they are one. Jesus suffered on the cross. He is the chastisement of our peace. He was bruised for our iniquities. Sin has been canceled, has been wiped out by the blood. But listen to me, my friend. Just like in Israel's day. In Israel's day, before they left out of Egypt, before they left out of Egypt, Egypt is a picture of the world. Egypt is a picture of living in sin. Egypt is a picture of you before you get saved. But before they left Egypt, the Jews were huddled there in Egypt and they were slaves to sin. They were slaves and just like us, slaves to sin. And on the night before they were released, God gave them this promise. He said, if you'll take the blood of a lamb and you'll put it over the doorpost, He said, my death angel will pass over you. And the Jews still celebrate to this day a feast called the Passover. But I'll tell you what, is that blood, that blood was no good unless applied. Jesus' blood has been shed for everybody in this room. It has been spilt out, it has been shed, and it is sufficient, it is able to save all that will, here's the key, believe. But if you will not believe, then the blood has not been applied. And if the blood has not been applied, when the death angel comes to your door, and it does, he comes to every door, eventually, Times Magazine wrote an article and at the top it said 10 out of 10 people die. We all die. The death angel's coming to us all. Problem with death is this. Is that none of us know when we'll die. Prisoners on death row don't know when they'll die. But the Yalls was just was telling me not too long ago of a man that was on death row. He was scheduled to die within the next couple of years. He had his date. And they found him in his room. He had suffered cardiac arrest. You don't know when you're going to die. You say, I'll do it later. You don't know that. When is the time for salvation? Now. Just like this man, now, run to Jesus now, be saved now. 
Jesus is looking for sick people to be healed today. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, Jesus is looking for somebody that will say, I need some help. I need to be saved. I need to trust Christ. Dear God, save me. If you don't save me, I'll go to hell. If you don't save me, I'll, I'll, I'll perish. If you don't save me, God, I will not be set free. God, save me. And then look finally with me, if you will, in this last portion here, is that they were saved to serve. Look at this man. He had a demon possessed, but he's not demon possessed anymore. He's sitting, he's clothed, and he's in the right mind. And the Bible teaches us that he is going to be able to go. He wants to go with Jesus and tell others about the great things that God has done for him. You know, whenever you get saved, you know what you want to do? You want to tell others. You want to serve. You want to serve. You want to say. You want to tell others about Christ. You want to tell others about the great things that God has done for you. God has done for you. We thank the Lord for that. We need to ask God to help us. You say, are you saved? Have you trusted Christ? Have you trusted in the Lord? If you have, then you've been saved to serve. You've been saved to serve. Not saved to just sit and soak. Saved to serve. With every head bowed and every eye closed...